Hey friends, welcome to the Free Trail Podcast. Of course, I am your loving host, Dylan Bowman, here today with Adam Mary, the 2023 Chuckanaut 50K champion and brand new dad, father of a brand new baby boy named Arthur J. Mary, who was born just a month ago, putting wind in his dad's sails and carrying him to a fantastic victory at the Chuckanaut 50K, the best race of Adam's career. It's a great story, and it was great to finally have Adam on the pod to discuss everything. We talk about what makes Adam unique as a person. We talk about being a new dad and the support system he has in his family. We chat about the mega talented training group they've assembled in Boulder and what Adam has learned from his training partners. We talk about his high volume training block, the Chuckanut 50K race execution, and a lot more. Oh, and also make sure you stick around to the end to hear Adam's answers to my closing philosophical questions. It's a fantastic highlight from an amazing conversation. Hope you all enjoy it. As a reminder, this is Gorge Waterfalls Race Week, the premier Pacific Northwest event that Free Trail owns in partnership with Daybreak Racing is happening over three days, Friday to Sunday, 30K, 100K, 50K in that order. We're going to be providing live coverage of all three events throughout the weekend. So make sure you go follow at Run Free Trail on Instagram. Much like we did last year, we will do a series of Instagram live sessions throughout the weekend to keep you up to speed on what's happening in the Columbia River Gorge. Again, follow at Run Free Trail on Instagram. Come hang out with us this weekend. Before we get to the episode, a massive thank you to Speedland, the presenting partner of the Free Trail Podcast and also sponsor of Gorge Waterfalls. Speedland has begun shipping the GS Tam. I've been seeing people unboxing their beautiful orange shoes on Instagram. Makes me feel so happy to see them out in the world after a year of tinkering. In fact, I used my first prototype at Gorge Waterfalls in 2022, so it's been basically exactly a year. For those who have received your shoes or who will soon, make sure you post a pic online and tag your boy. I would love to see you out using these shoes in the wilds, wherever it is that you live and where you train, I'll make sure to reshare. So make sure you tag me. And for those who haven't grabbed a pair yet, please do at least go check them out at runspeedland.com. Use code FREETRAIL10 for 10% off the purchase of these amazing shoes. Thanks everyone for being here. Hope you enjoy the episode. Mary, welcome to the Free Trail Podcast, buddy. How are you? I'm great, Bebo. Thanks again for having me. I've already said it, but dude, it's like uh, been listening since the well, since Pillars, and now Free Trail. Every episode, at least once, sometimes two, three times. Uh, so it's a real honor, man. For real, my dog. I'm so glad to have you on, and it was only a matter of time until we finally connected on the pod, and now we have a few great occasions, you know, to sort of make this a reality. And I'm sure you're probably basking in the glow of fantastic ultra marathon victory and new fatherhood. Is that the case yes. for our audience here? Yeah, yeah, it is, man. It's um, it's pretty cool, you know, like good things take time, but I definitely felt like I was on a little bit of a dry spell. And so it, it felt really good to have a good race. Is that right? So go a little deeper on that. Were you sort of like <sighs> desperate to catch your break more or less? I don't know, man. Like, I don't know if desperation is the right word, but I guess like, you know, I've been training very diligently and, um, I think making good decisions in my training and, um, putting in the work for a very long time and just, it's like, I'd have a great race result, but it was like, not a big race. And so it's kind of like, uh, like 
awesome time, but like no one really cares, you know? <laughs> sure. And then I'd be at the big race and it looked like flat performance or like DNF. And it was just kind of like, ugh. so it was really cool that all of that lined up, um, on the right day. Dude, that's really interesting to, to think about and to talk about is just sort of like putting it together when it matters most and how, yes the best athletes are the ones who can actually do that and how frustrating it is when you put it together, but not in the right place or in the right race. And it's a skill, 100%. it's a skill that has to be honed. And I think oftentimes it's maybe comes down to an unteachable, uncoachable, intangible of just competitiveness and execution yes. when it matters most. But of course, I guess we're talking around it, but you're coming off a great victory at the Chuck and up 50 K, which we'll talk about in great detail later in our conversation. But I wanted to start in a, a fun new place that I'm sort of toying around with a prompt that was given to me by a good friend and sort of strength coach who I have been connected with since I had a devastating ankle injury back in 2019. And we were on a Zoom call recently and he encouraged all of us to think about what makes us unique and different as individuals. And the way that he phrased it was, what makes you, you? And since this is your mm. first time on the podcast, Adam, I figured this would be a great way to introduce you to the audience of just what makes you, you? What makes you a unique human being on planet Earth? Oh man, I love that. Well, um, I think maybe I'll tackle it two facets. So like, well, I think what makes me, me as a runner, um, is probably that I have this like deep meaning to what drives me to train and, uh, you know, strive for the performances that I do. Um, and it's of course, like every, you know, everyone loves to have a great day and maybe get a win or run a fast time, um, and compete. But for me, the meaning goes deeper than that. Like I am a, half black multiracial runner. And so it really is like a wind in my sails and something that I think about pretty regularly to try and represent like, um, you know, diverse racially diverse runners, like on the tops of podiums. And so that is something that is kind of front of mind for me, like day to day helps me get out the door. Um, and then as a person, I think, uh, just like kind of removed from running. Um, I've always had this thing of like, when I see something that I like desire or like the way that my life could be in an ideal world, I can kind of like create that vision or like kind of, I know, I know how to like adjust my life to put myself in the best situation to try to achieve that. So, um, I think those two things are probably, yeah. What make me, me. I love it, man. And yeah, you've done such great work in terms of, being a vocal proponent of increasing representation in the sport. I recall the podcast you did with the trail society team last year is probably yeah. six months ago where you guys went deep on that subject. I'll make sure to link to that in the show notes and yeah, who knows, maybe we'll come back around to that whole lifestyle manifestation thing later on uh, in the yeah. conversation, but Sounds good. you you clearly have sort of yeah carved a great path for yourself in the sport. And it feels like you're just getting started. I wanted to also hear from you. I can't remember where I saw this. It was probably something you posted about how your exposure to and your success within trail running had inspired your mother. So I'd love <laughs> for you to, to yeah. talk about that because hasn't she sort of picked up the sport since you've sort of established yourself in this career path. Yes. Oh uh, yeah, man. Love my mom. She's, uh, she's always been like, um, active and she actually used to run like track and was a sprinter. 
And so she was a runner from a young age, but never like ran in college or anything. Um, but yeah, you know, she's more of like a, a really fast walker. She's so short. She's like, she'll hate me for saying that on air, but like, <laughs> she's like five, two, maybe, but she can walk like, I mean, a 14 minute pace, like so fast. And, uh, so trail running is kind of a nice natural extension to that. Like she, um, did her first 20 trail 25 K like a couple of years ago in Fort Ord, California. Um, I think and that's so what now, you posted about that I'm referring yes. to. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so that was really cool because she on her own, like wanted to, you know, experience what I had been doing, you know, for, for years and she really liked it and loved the community. And so they actually, um, recently got a condo out here in Colorado. And so it's my goal to maybe try to get her to do that out here. Although it's a little bit harder with the altitude. Um, but yeah, no, she, she's always been really supportive of me as an athlete and it's just, I don't know, just the ultimate sign of love to want to dip your toe in it yourself, especially something like trail running where it's challenging, but she's super proud of that 25 K finish. She had like, there were tough moments in there on some climbs. It was hot and she got the full experience. Yeah. Was she instrumental in terms of your early path? Cause I know you were sort of a team sport, field sport athlete, like your boy yeah. was. So I don't know. Is there anything else you want to share about your mom and how she supported you or inspired you when you were a kid? Oh yeah. I mean, like both my mom and dad, just like so supportive of all of the sports that I wanted to do, whether they were American traditional team sports or kind of the more uh, like punk rock sports, like skateboarding or inline skating back in the day, yes. um, you know, always driving me to the skate park or to, you know, soccer practice or baseball or whatever. Um, my dad would coach some of the teams I was on. Um, but yeah, just, I don't know, for me as a kid and now as a, you know, new father, it's something I want to aspire toward is like really being not only vocally supportive, but um, yeah, showing up like as, as a parent and a, maybe a coach or just even someone kind of orange slices in the Ziploc bag, you know, like being there. Yeah. That was sort of where I was going with the question and we're sort of making our way to the topic of you being a new father and that being something that you and I share. And it makes me yes. want to ask, like, I mean, do you, do you think more about your own parents now that you're a parent? Cause it's something that I've noticed a lot. Yeah, man. It's so crazy. First of all, like, I don't know what your experience was, Debo, but like, as we got closer and closer to giving birth and then certainly after the birth, it was like, how is everyone so low key about this? Like, this is crazy. It's so like heavy duty, amazing, inspiring, just the birth experience. Um, amazing what women like go through or pregnant people go through is it's just unbelievable. And yeah, then like the journey of parenting, um, it's given me a, a whole new respect and appreciation for everything that like 99% of parents do, you know, like yeah. just helping a child survive is like a full-time job, you know? It's so full on and never yes. stops. And I now, I guess, appreciate the fact that before you have a child, all your friends who have, who are parents say, Oh, it's just the most amazing thing. Like you can't describe it. And it's just so true, but we'll still make an so effort true. to do so here in the podcast format. But yes, maybe uh, another question just kind of about the people in your circle that I thought would be interesting as we talk about family and 
and uh, your your new identity as a as a father is to talk about your your wife and partner Jay. I've never met her personally, but our uh, mutual friends, yes, you know, have nothing but amazing things to say about her. So maybe say a few words about Jay and what makes her special too. Man, well, thanks for giving me the opportunity to yeah. talk about her. She is uh, an amazing partner to me, which is you know where things started, and it's been unbelievable to watch her. Um, become a, a mother and like, you know, of course, throughout the pregnancy, you know, developing a, a strong bond with our son, Arthur. And um, yeah, just, you know, one of the things that everyone who meets Julianne, like immediately gets, it's like, she's so uh, emotionally attuned and like a supportive, uplifting person. And everyone that talks to her just like, feels good, like coming out of the conversation, you know, and she is like that for me as well. And it's like, it's just, it's crazy because I, as a new father, am going through a lot of changes, right? Like, but, you know, it is so much more um, challenging and um, I guess like, I don't know, just like, you know, huge, like the undertaking that a new mom uh, experiences with nursing, if they're, if they're breastfeeding or whatever. And so, you know, through all of that, her support for me as a runner, like hasn't wavered at all, which is like, really like emotionally meaningful for me. And just like, you know, I wouldn't have been able to like train the way I have over the last like five, six years without her support. And now that we have a newborn, you know, that's still being there is just like um, really special and shows that, you know, that's like, in my opinion, like uh, the mark of a really good, strong partnership is when you both really believe in your core, like you want the best thing for the other person and you're willing to sacrifice for it um, as well. So yeah, she's amazing. It's so true. And you'll learn this too, but you know, I think for us, for Harmony and I, our son is seven months old now. It's just been really interesting to just kind of like learn the importance of really, you know, centering our marriage too, because it's so easy with a new baby to, and especially when you're so busy with other things that like you really have to, remember, you know, the central core of the family is mom and dad. And if you want yes. Arthur in your case, Rhodes in our case, to be a happy, healthy baby that you have to continually tend to that. And I love how you describe Jay and the sacrifices she makes to make sure that you're a happy, healthy dad. And that includes having the ability to train and we'll get around to your training and your recent performances. But Anything else that comes to mind on this new chapter of fatherhood for you? Yeah. I think I, I do eventually want to go back and talk a little bit about your, your, uh, you know, background a little bit more, just so people have a bit more context. But since this is very much like you're emerging from the fog of, you know, the recent birth, I'd love to hear how things have been clarified in terms of your life and your mission and how you and Jay are adjusting to this new chapter, generally speaking. Yeah, man. Well, I, I don't remember where I heard it, but like before we gave birth, like, you know, at some point in maybe the third trimester, someone was like, yeah, well, you know, do you have any problems, you know, like those are going to get like magnified when the mm. baby comes out, you know, personally or in your relationship. And so one of the things that Julianne and my relationship is built upon is this like just, I mean, brick house, solid foundation of communication. And we pra- we've practiced that over, we've been together for over 10 years. And it's like, 
obviously when we first got together and especially me, like I, um, as a man who grew up like in a maybe traditional kind of like masculine culture, wasn't super in touch with my emotions, wasn't, uh, accustomed to being vulnerable. Um, and I've really gotten a lot better at talking about my feelings and expressing when, um, you know, things are bothering me and she does the same thing. And we always like stick with the conversation and get to a better place by the end. And so certainly, um, with all the stresses of having a newborn and, you know, both of us learning about how to be parents for the first time, like that communication has just like been so clutch. And so like that has been key. And even talking about things for us of like, Hey, how do we want to raise our child? Like, you know, cause I think, I don't know if it's like an American value or maybe just it happens that both of us have this idea is like, you know, we, you kind of like want to do it yourself, you know? And like, but, but really like we, decided and have been practicing really like bringing people in. So both of our parents were lucky. Um, they came out here for the, around the birth and, um, they're still here. Actually, they're leaving soon. Um, in a couple of weeks, but like bringing them in, um, as much as we can asking for help, um, involving our, our close friends, um, in loving on Arthur, you know what I mean? Cause like, especially for a mom, it's like, I think it's hard to like hand your baby to someone. You know what I mean? It's a little less hard for me for some reason, probably because I didn't like carry him in the womb and all that. But like, for me, it's like, as long as he's getting loved on, like it's awesome that it's a unique form of love with each person that interacts with him. And so we've been like, I don't know, leaning into that. And um, yeah, certainly getting back to the communication piece, everything that we do, all the decisions we make are formed around this, like, you know, bedrock of communication. Arthur J. Mary, is there significance to the name? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, Arthur, um, I think we wanted a name that was like, like maybe um, a name we could envision for like an adult person, um, but was also still kind of a cute, like little baby name. Uh, I don't know. I grew up watching that TV show, Arthur, about the aardvark um, in my childhood. And so that was nice for me. But then her she, her um, great grandfather was named Arthur. That was like... Um, significant person in their family. Um, and it was just like the name and it was crazy. Cause like we had a few that we really liked and I've heard people say this, like, Oh, you'll know when he comes out, you'll know, like, and it really was true. Cause we, we kind of like passed Arthur passed on Arthur. Then he came out and it was like, Oh man, like he's an Arthur for sure. <laughs> you know? so great. We, we had that experience too. Like we didn't come to a conclusion on Rhodes name until like they basically made us decide and write his name down on a piece of paper. And yes. I mean, now, now it just feels like it's the only possible name we could have gone with. So I'm always curious, crazy? you know, just about names and the significance behind them and the thought that goes yes. into it. So, well, thanks yeah. for sharing. Well, one more, his, his middle name, Jay, I, uh, I wanted him to be connected to his mom, Julianne, mm -hmm. and I call her Jay. And so we thought like Jay, you know, J-A-Y, like Blue Jay. It's kind of a nice um, image and then also a gender neutral name. And so, um, but for me, I was just kind of wanting to name him after Jay. So that's that's where Jay came from. I love it. Awesome, yeah. man. So going back in time a little bit, tell us a little bit more about your background, your history with sport, how you ended up in Colorado. I know you're from Northern California, now live in Boulder. I'm from Boulder, now live yes. in Northern California. So we're kindred spirits. Flip -flop, so that sounds, yeah, flip-flop. But yeah, give us give us a general sense of your background and how you ended up where you are now. Yeah. Well, for sure, man, I do miss California oftentimes. Like uh I 
I'm not gonna lie, I'm a little jealous of your new digs, Debo. Like being up there in Marin is so sick. So yeah, I am from Monterey, California originally. So like Central Coast. Um, anyone's heard of the Monterey Bay Aquarium? I actually worked there for a little while. But um, yeah, you know, like growing up, uh, as we mentioned earlier, like I played a lot of team sports, um, really didn't get into running, didn't even try track and field until middle school. Um, and it was, we didn't have a team at my school. So it was like this competitive, um, track team. And it was just so insane. Like one of the coaches was an Olympian and it was just, it was like, you know, hard, like running. And, uh, so I did that for like one season and then was like, I don't like that. I don't want to do that anymore. And, uh, yeah, like mostly just stuck to, um, the traditional kind of like, uh, baseball, football, um, which was what I played in high school and then went to college and played football there. D three at Claremont McKenna, um, down in LA. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think like, it's funny, like one of my, you know, superpowers as a runner, uh, that my friends and I joke around about is like, I'm very durable and never get overuse injuries, never really get injured. Like I roll my ankle like here and there, but nothing like with relation to volume, no problems. And so I think that's from like doing all these different movements and sports, um, and then getting into lifting, like, you know, junior high school. So not super early, like doing heavy lifts. Um, and my body was able to just develop and I, you know, am a maybe stronger, like slightly more muscled muscular person. And so I feel like that served me well as a runner. Um, uh, as I've gotten into distance running and ultra running post collegiately. So I didn't even like run a half marathon until I was maybe 22 or three. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it's been that kind of natural traditional progression of like getting hooked by a friend to like try a trail run for the first time. And then, um, you know, like a year later, I, he was like, dude, I think you could do a 50 K. And so I just like signed up and was like, Oh, I've run like 13 miles. Like how much harder could it be (laughs) like twice as far and an extra five miles. So it's, it turns out it's a lot harder, but, um, yeah, it's that, you know, like, like everybody says, like the community was so amazing. The experience of running through the woods like that for, I think it was probably five hours was my first 50 K. Um, which just like hooked me. And then ever since then I've been, um, incrementally increasing the distance. And then I am a naturally competitive person, like with others as a competitor, but mostly with myself. And so I've really enjoyed the process of trying to improve as a runner, like understand, uh, training theory, understand better running form, like different little optimizations I can make to become a better runner. And so that's also part of what's kept me so hooked and engaged. I love what you said about team sport athletes and how your personal experience has mapped to trail success. And one of my big dreams is to eventually establish a pipeline of high level collegiate field sport athletes who don't have a shot Uh. at going pro in their sport, but who have natural competitive competitiveness and, talent and athleticism that clearly is applicable to trail performance because like you said well i mean first of all just the agility component of running trails is hugely important and that's a skill that's often formed intimately in team sport field sport environments but also i think the durability that you mentioned and just like having a little bit more of a athletic sturdier frame pays dividends especially when you're going 100k 100 miles it's true so how'd you end up in colorado oh yeah so colorado basically like i came out here 
after I had done like one or two 50 Ks classic me fashion, I signed up for the never summer hundred K thinking, dude, like the picture looks sweet. Like running in the real mountains, like, you know, central coast, it's like, there's little bumps, you know, like big Sur has got some hills, but they aren't anything like 14 Yeah. And I was like, man, that'd be like real Colorado experience. That'll be so cool. I'd never run at altitude before, but it was like, I don't know, like, it'll be okay. I'll just slow down a little bit. Um, and came out and it was like this year at never summer where it was like full value, like rain, hail, lightning when you're going over passes, like pinned us down. Like it was just like, and you know, um, it's up in the never summer mountains, like up in state forest state park, like kind of this part of Colorado where like, there's not a lot of people. Yeah. And, um, you know, you're on these ridge lines and it's just like these beautiful views. And so that like planted this seed in me of like, oh man, like imagine living here and being able to like access this kind of terrain regularly. Um, and then as I got more into like competitive running and racing in California and started to have some success there, it was like, I didn't really have training partners anymore as much. And it was like, man, like I know like Boulder is like the spot, you know? And, um, I don't know. We kind of kicked like drag our, dragged our heels for a couple of years. And then finally my awesome wife, Julianne was like, Hey, like, you know, are you going to be okay with like having not lived in Colorado when we're like 80? And I was like, no, I definitely want to live there. And she was like, let's just move because it's not going to get easier. Like we don't have kids. Let's just do it. And so literally probably two weeks later, I like told my boss we were going to move. And luckily it was around that COVID time. And so he was like, we figured out that I could work remotely, um, which made it feel possible. And uh, yeah, I moved out to Golden, Colorado, lived there for two years. And then just this past year, um, moved up here to Boulder and yeah, rest is history. So the natural next question, as you mentioned, training partners is about the crew that you guys have established there in Boulder. Oh, yeah. It feels like there's something really special happening and that mm -hmm. each of you guys is sort of at a similar point in life or about the same age or almost at a similar yep. point in your career. So maybe describe the group, identify the people I'm talking about and what benefit it's brought into your career. Yeah. Well, it's super cool. So like, um, initially it was kind of like myself, Matt Daniels, Drew Holman and Seth ruling. We've had some newcomers to the group. Hayden Hawks just moved to town. Um, and yeah, like, you know, really it was kind of built on this foundation of friendship, you know, and it's like a side benefit that we are all similar kind of fitness, similar racing goals and aspirations. But, you know, for me personally, I'll speak for myself, like I really value um, running regularly with people that I enjoy on a personal level, you know, and one of the first runs that Drew and I went on, um, for example, where it was that kind of like, oh, we don't know each other, but like, let's go for a run. We did the high lonesome loop here um, up by Netherland. And we talked for literally like an hour and a half straight, didn't talk about running one time. We're just talking about life and parallel experiences we've had. And like, and at midway through the run, he just remarked like, man, like it is so refreshing to just like, just be talking you know, and not, you're not just talking about your training or like spraying about your races coming up. And like, I think in Boulder, like there's a lot of singularly focused, like triathletes, like people just kind of like, that's all they live and breathe. And don't get me wrong. Like, so do I, but there's a lot more to life than just talking about training, just talking about racing. And that's one thing I really value about that training group is we get together and we work out, we do long runs, 
we do easy runs, but we're talking about life, you know, like most of that time. And, you know, there's some hot takes about the trail scene and, and whatnot, but it's mostly about life. And those guys are some of my best friends. And so um, it's pretty special to have friends that can also like match you um, and really push you as an athlete. So good. And I got to join you guys for a little training round. It was probably like yeah. six months ago or something. You guys dragged the old guy around that. Oh, get big, out of here. Big, you were working me up in those hill strides, dude. <laughs> um, one thing I thought would be interesting to do here and just to go one level deeper on your guys' training group again, mm. Drew Holman, Seth Ruling, Matt Daniels, yourself. If you could identify like one thing that made makes the other three guys interesting or one thing you've learned from each of the other three that they've brought into your training. Is there anything that you would identify? Oh, like wow. for, for <laughs> Drew, for example, is there something that you point to, to Drew that you think makes him a good athlete that's rubbed off on you? Yeah, man. I love this question. So for Drew, um, he's easy. So he is like so talented as a runner. Um, and work puts in the work works hard, but he is really good about, um, balancing and kind of compartmentalizing his running and does other things in his life. Like he is a high performer at his job. He's an awesome uh, relationship with his partner, Sasha, they travel. And so to, what I've learned from him is like, um, you don't have to be quote unquote, all in on running to like have amazing performance results. Um, and so sometimes like creating a little bit of space or being a little bit more relaxed is actually beneficial. And I've, I've actually done some of that in my own running and I've, I've seen the benefit, um, for Matt, like it's kind of the opposite, right? Like he is like all in, this is something he's wanted to do since he was 11 years old. He's like a 13 time NCAA all American. Like he is like all the way in Stud, yeah. so talented and, um, not afraid to like really put the work in. And so like, I've learned that from him, like just not being afraid to embrace being that way, um, as an athlete. And then Seth, like, he's cool. He was a triathlete before, um, and has also run for a very long time. Um, but from Seth, like he has this really cool, I mean, cool in the true sense, like kind of swaggy, like, um, vibe about him when it comes to like competition and his own confidence in himself um, as a runner and a racer. And like, you know, I think any starting line he lines up for, I mean, I think he can win the race, but he thinks he can win the race, yeah. even though he won't say it like that. And I think that's really powerful to have that level of self-belief as an athlete. So yeah, I think that's what I've learned from him. And, um, I know we all rub off on each other and it's, um, it's a great dynamic. Yeah. It's awesome. Well, thanks for sharing all that. And Seth definitely does have the swag and, I, I don't know him super well personally, but yeah, sky's the limit for him. And obviously, yes. yeah, Matt and Drew, absolute savages also. And look forward to having Matt at Gorge Waterfalls next week. Yeah. Anyway, just, I think it's really cool what you guys have going on and, and, you know, more generally just like, again, you guys compete against each other. We'll get around to you and Seth competing against each other at Chuckanut last weekend, but those friendships are so important to maintain. Yeah. And as you know, those that are forged in fire through hard workouts and long runs together become lifelong bonds. So Heck yeah, it's great. And now that Hayden's in the neighborhood, good God, you guys are going to have a freaking, freaking group. I know. 
I know he's a great addition and it, yeah. it just really is cool. Cause like we all like, aren't afraid to push each other when it's explicit. We're going to do that. But you know, like we don't have that competitive dynamic when it's supposed to be an easy run. Yeah. You know, it's something I think we really value and, um, critical. Yeah. I don't know. Like there's so many great people here in Boulder and it's part of the, part of the draw is like, you can find your people that you vibe with on a personal level and then also are like at your level athletically. So it's a good one. Awesome, man. The Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by Best Day Brewing. Dry January is over, but your boy is staying disciplined with his alcohol consumption or lack thereof. Not exaggerating, this is one of the biggest focuses of my life right now to reduce my overall alcohol intake as a dad, as an athlete, as a small business owner. Every day is just filled to the brim with important responsibilities that deserve and require my full attention. And I have noticed that I just do not operate with the same focus or with the same energy when I'm drinking, even just one or two nights a week. I have to say also my mood and attitude are so much worse when I'm on the booze also. As such, I've been making a huge effort to reduce my consumption and my goodness, do I feel so much better. And that's where Best Day Brewing comes in. I can still enjoy the ritual of a cold beer without the alcohol that so compromises my performance both on and off the trails. Best Day is brewed for doers like you and me. I'm sure there are many listeners who find themselves in the same position as me. You don't have to fully abstain, but let's hold each other accountable to reduce our alcohol intake in 2023. Visit bestdaybrewing.com and enjoy their selection of delicious craft brews and have your best day yet. Bestdaybrewing.com. Tell them Free Trail sent you. So let's talk about training a little bit, dude. You have been on a freaking roll. I was looking at your Strava and you've been putting in just beast volume. Can you give the audience the broad stroke summary about how you've structured your training, maybe especially leading up to Chuckanut, especially also given the arrival of your son recently? Yeah, man. Well, so, you know, um, when my wife was, so we gave birth, uh, February 23rd, 2023. Right. So leading up to that, like that kind of December, January, early February time, I wasn't racing because it was kind of like, you know, the birth could happen early. Like, so I was just here putting in work, um, biding my time until she gave birth. Um, so it was kind of a slow build. I got the flu, like at the end of December, just like knocked me down for a couple of weeks and I had to rebuild from that. But, you know, basically I have been putting in like really solid, like, you know, block over block year over year volume for like a few years now with no injuries. And I honestly was curious, like, what am I capable of, um, sustaining? Um, you know, I've hit like 120 before. Um, but I was curious to just kind of probe the, the, perhaps the outer limits of the volume I could handle um, early because my, you know, a race is Canyon's hundred K here for the first half of the year. And so it was like, okay, like, let's, let's kind of turn that dial up, um, after the birth, which was kind of like, I was thinking, I was planning on that before the birth and the birth happened. And it was like, oh my gosh, like, I mean, this was the plan, but like, it doesn't need to be the plan. And again, just to like huge kudos to my wife, like, and my, and my family here, that's been helping. None of this would have happened without all of their involvement. Like, 
you know, I was able to get out and put in like an 18 hour training week the week after we gave birth because my parents would be here helping take care of Arthur. Julianne's parents were here. Jay was really stepping up and um, he was able to do that. And so, um, yeah, basically was in like a base phase um, up until after we gave birth and then started doing some more um, high end speed work um, because Chuck nut is a pretty you know, you got to have like speed for the first and last part of that race. Yep. Um, and yeah, I was able to peak out, um, at about 145 miles, um, in a week. Um, and like we were talking about before, it's like, I really don't know what I'm capable of. Cause I did the last run I did that week was like six fifteen pace, yeah. 15 miler. It was like, dude, I'm, it feels, I feel great. So I don't know. It was really an interesting kind of experiment. I think more so than you know, just going up to like 150, 160, 170. It's yeah. more like, okay, how can I keep stacking like 120, 130? Like, you know, just being in that sweet spot of volume um, for many weeks. So that's time. what I was going to ask. So like sort of broader macro training philosophy question. When you peak out at 145 miles a week before chucking out, like, is that the type a volume that you want to be sustaining or maintaining for much of the year? Or is that sort of, mm. as you mentioned, the base phase and the foundation of fitness from which you can sort of maintain throughout the year and sharpen up with higher intensity work? Yeah, I think like for me, um, and you know, I know my body really well and, you know, definitely central to my training is like having some higher end workouts in a week having a key long run in a week. And I split up a lot of that mileage, um, via doubles. And so mostly it's like doing that kind of volume, there's a huge aerobic benefit. Um, but then laced in there are these like pretty serious workouts or long runs with intensity. And so the idea is in that peak week to kind of like have that big stimulus aerobically, but then have a key sessions where you can super compensate. And then as you're dialing down, you're still keeping it really sharp and doing high-end workouts, but the volume's decreasing. But the crazy thing is, Debo, like, you know, for me, like the week before chucking out, I did like 106 miles and it felt like a, like a cutback. Like, like I felt a taper good. week. <laughs> yeah. yeah taper mean, week. Right. I'd be in and the so, hospital if I did that volume right now. Yeah. But it's crazy. <laughs> so I think like more so than trying to just sustain that all the time for me, it, I think, the, and perhaps what others can take away is like, you know, there is benefit for these ultras in having a huge aerobic base and engine and, and capacity. And that is what you get when you run a lot, you know, at an easy effort. And you can, of course, cross train and get a similar stimulus. But, um, you know, in my opinion, like there's no substitute for running neuromuscularly, aerobically. Um, and so I don't know, it was, uh, it was an experience, but I think you know, certainly leading into canyons, I won't probably touch much more than 145 in my peak. Um, and we'll mostly just seek to be in that 120, 130 range and really centering like canyon specific type workouts, hill climbs. Um, and I'll probably have like one key long run before canyons, maybe like cool. 35 miles. All right. Well, let's get to that in a little bit. Let's not skip over the recent achievement at checking at a great place to start the season and a perfectly executed performance you posted Thanks, that you rallied from sixth place to winning the race 
running a really solid time on the course, a course that obviously has been around for three decades that many of the sports best have run on and therefore a great place to have a barometer of fitness, not only this year, but across history. Rather than give the full race report, I'd love to hear you talk about just building momentum through the race and maybe any internal self-talk you're having when you're back in sixth place and, and generally how you approach the race strategically. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Chuck and that's kind of an interesting course because for those that don't know, it's like the first 10 K of the course is on this like gravel towpath, like basically flat. Everybody says, Oh, it's pancake flat. It's like, it is not pancake flat. There's like a couple little punchy ups on it that you really feel on the way back, but it's basically flat. Yeah. Um, and then the middle 18 has like 5,000 feet of climbing. So like, you know, real trail running, there's the technical ridge section. And so it has this interesting blend and demand of like, you got to have like high end speed, like good leg speed to, to hang on that first and last 10 K, but then you still have to be able to climb and have good technical running skills for the ridge. And so, um, yeah, for me, like, I don't know, I think, you know, I knew what I wanted to do on the toe path. I knew like if someone wanted to take it out super hot, like Seth didn't take it out super hot, but he did kind of like pull that little pack along. Um, you know, you gotta be running like 545, 550 on the toe path on the way out. Um, and I was just trying to stay as relaxed as I could. Um, that middle 18, you know, climbing is a lot of race left on that first climb after that first climb. And so I was kind of just, yeah, I actually wore a heart rate monitor strap. Mm. Um, and it was really, I wanted the data afterward, but mainly so that I could make sure that on that first climb, I wasn't going above, like for me, 180. It's like, that's like, all right, I'm just going to stay there and kind of try to lower the effort a little bit, which I did. And that's actually right where Eric uh, LaPuma, my world's teammate, kind of passed me. And it was like, all right, like, I'm, I know I'm running well. You know what I mean? Like, I know I'm fit. And so it's like, I think that's one thing that I learned in this training block is like, when I feel like I've put in the work in training, I'm super confident out there racing because it's like, if everybody else can run like five, 10 pace up this and not pay for it later, like, I don't know, like, yeah. I guess... I guess I got to get out the game, you know, but it, that's not the case. And so, um, I think it's cool. Like Seth and I were talking about this after the race, like we both ran the race totally different Seth and I, but we ran it to our strengths. So like he took it out hot on the climb. I kept it controlled on the climb, but then I zipped everybody up on that Ridge, like yeah. literally ran right up to Eric in like two miles. Yeah. Um, and then on the way back, like, I don't know, man, this was like maybe getting to the dad strength thing, but like, I had written like JJ on my wrist, like for Julianne and J Arthur J, my, my son. And, uh, there's actually a little box beneath it, which was to remind me of my world's teammates. We talked about like being in the box. Out I was Thailand. wondering what that was. You posted the a box, picture man. of this. Yeah. And I looked at that. Like I literally physically looked down at it like three, four times during the race when it was getting harder, I was like lagging a little bit and would just dig back in. And so in the um, box. I love it. In the box, man. And uh, yeah, you know, hitting that towpath on the way back, like I I didn't honestly did not expect to be close enough to Seth to close that gap, but I heard he was like 40 seconds up and I could like kind of see him. And what they say is, you know, if you can see him, you could catch him. And so I was just like run as hard as I could. And I really, really, really wanted that win. And, um, you know, luckily on that day, like I had it in my legs and he 
didn't quite have it. Yeah. And so he still ran a super yeah. fast time, super, super proud fast race. Time. Ryan made a great video uh, from Chuck so where, you know, he sort of captured Seth's race, your race. Of course, Drew was there crewing you. So you had three quarters of the Boulder contingent in attendance. And there was this yep. goosebumps moment where Drew gives you your final bottle at the last aid station. And you can kind of see Seth in the distance as you were describing. Of yep. course, we couldn't capture the final pass, but can you bring us into that moment of when you caught and passed Seth, any words that were exchanged, et cetera? Oh yeah, man. Goosebumps for me. Cause like, you know, we've, we train together all the time, the four of us out here in Boulder. And like, we've talked about like, oh man, like we're going to race each other kind of like, what's the vibe, you know? And, and for me, what I've said is, you know, and Seth agrees, we all do. It's like the biggest compliment and like honor and respect you can extend is to like honor your opponent with true competition. You know, it's like, I don't want you like, let me win. We're not going to do this. Like jogging in together thing, like this race, like all the way to the end and then give each other a hug at the end. And so it was crazy because it was like, dude, I can't believe we're like one, two right now. This is going to happen, you know? And so it was weird. Cause I was like, dude, I don't, I don't know. I'm going to, I'm working hard. I'm not sure if I'm going to catch him. And then he started coming back, started coming back. And then it was like, I think I'm going to catch him. And with a mile and a half to go coming through this like road crossing, um, we caught each other and there were some people there as so there's cheering. But as I caught him, dude, he like turned his head and was like, Adam, like, I'm so happy. It's you, man. Like, I'm so happy. It's you. Cause he hadn't seen me the whole race. Yes. And so it was like, you know, he actually told me drew said that Adam was like, you know, in second, when he came through that final aid station and he was like, really, you know what I mean? So it was like, I, when I caught him, he was like, dude, I'm so happy. It's you. And, uh, I asked him how he was feeling and he was like, dude, like, I've had better days, you know, like not feeling that good, but, uh, you know, he's like, dude, you're, you're on a really good time. Yeah. And I just like accelerated on him and he didn't have it that day, but, um, you know, we both ran hard to the finish line and like first order of business after I crossed the line is like turned around and Seth was like not too far behind me. And it was like all love, man. Like I such kudos to Seth for like, um, being supportive, like in what is a tough moment, like when you're getting past and yeah. you're watching the wind, like slip through your fingers. Like it was, uh, it set the tone like for yeah. us as a crew and, uh, for me as a competitor, for sure. Yeah. I mean, how great is that? Obviously we talked about the spirit of your guys's connection earlier in our conversation, but the fact that it did come down to the two of you and it's like you guys, the hours you spent together, pushing each other on the trails around Boulder yeah. <laughs> clearly pushed you both to fantastic performances. Ryan shared a fun anecdote from the final descent where Seth is like, how far back, you know, can you see him? Can you see him? <laughs> it's like, it's one switchback. Seth's like, oh. like, what's the gap? And he's like, one switchback. He's just like, shit. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, you know, man. I'm sure Seth will be motivated next time you guys stand on the star line together, but it's great. You could share a nice hug at yeah, the finish line. The Fruit Row Podcast is brought to you by the Gnarly Nutrition Baseline Series. You may be wondering, is iron supplementation for you? Iron is essential for oxygen transportation in your body. Endurance athletes, women, and plant-based athletes are particularly vulnerable to iron deficiencies. And Gnarly Nutrition makes hitting your baseline iron needs easy with the Gnarly Baseline Iron Plus. More than your typical iron supplement, Gnarly's Iron Plus has blood-boosting nutrients like vitamin B12, folate, 
folate and vitamin C for improved iron absorption. Similarly, vitamin D is known for its role in bone health, immune and muscle function, and inflammatory response. But lifestyle factors like decreased sunlight in winter months make vitamin D deficiency a worldwide issue, something I recently learned. Gnarly Baseline D3 is a natural plant-based vitamin, a simple vegan-friendly product that will ensure you're training on a solid foundation. To check out the Iron Plus and the Gnarly Vitamin D3, visit gonarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off your order. I think I'd make the argument that this is the best result of your career, going back to what we talked about earlier. Is there anything in particular that you would credit this breakthrough to? Yeah. I mean... Um, I think the training maybe had a small impact. Um, like I think I had a really good training block and, um, the, you know, taper, as we were saying that that low cutback worked well for me. Um, and, but I think more importantly, I've really created conditions in my life where like, I feel like I've, everyone in my corner is like believing in me. Like, I really know they believe in me. Mm. I believe in me and it's, you know, for me, at least as an athlete or a person, like I really need to feel that. Like if there's something in my life, that's like undermining that, like it doesn't work, you know? And I think that for me, it had festered every day in training festered. Um, and certainly in racing, like that's how the self-doubt can creep in and stuff. And yeah. Drew was mentioning, Oh man, when I saw you in six on the climb, I was hoping your head was in a good place. And really my head was in a great place all day. Even when I was in six, it was like, dude, like the race isn't over. Like I'm in a great spot. Like I know yeah. I'm running good. And so I think just mostly like, you know, obviously dad's strength had an impact of course, but like, I think mostly just like feeling really aligned, like in my life, um, I felt unburdened. It's like, the biggest the performance enhancer there is. Yes. I think that's why I yes. suck so bad at running right now. And I'm convinced <laughs> that dad's strength doesn't exist. <laughs> oh, zero alignment, but we'll get back there. You know, we yeah, at, least, at least hope. Bring us into the phone call or FaceTime with Jay and Arthur after the race. They didn't travel with you, I think. So no. describe yeah. what it was like to to share with your wife and your newborn son that you just had the best race of your career. It was crazy, man, because I don't know. Like I was mentioning earlier, it was like uh, I felt like I was capable of something like this for a, a little while, but it hadn't happened. And so it's like it keeps not happening. And it's like, and like, I know I'm saying like, I want to win the race beforehand, like to my, you know, to Julianne or my close, close friends, but it's like, it's hard to believe when you haven't done it, you know, you haven't like seen that glimpse of that kind of performance. And so to have done it cross the finish line, it happened. Um, and I was thinking that in that last mile after I passed Seth, I was like, holy shit, I'm, I'm winning. I'm going to win. It's like now or never, like, and I was just pushing it on that last time. Dude, I was thinking of Zach Miller in that TNF video coming up Tennessee Valley. I was yes. breathing. I was breathing like that because it was like the Seth is not going to catch me. And so it was emotional, dude. Like when I called Julianne, like I literally started crying on the phone, you know, because it's just like it, it, I did it, you know, and it's um, it feels really good to like have all the hard work manifest in in a performance result, which is important to me. Like I train so hard to like race well. And so like, it, it's very, very rewarding. Um, and she was crying too, man. Like it's just as much, she's just as invested. Yeah. Like she's holding it down here 
while I'm out on a three hour long run or at the gym doing strength or in the sauna. You know what I mean? So it's like, it really felt like a, we did it kind of moment. It was really special. That's so great. I'd love to not to mention one more thing. Like now when I tell Arthur, like, dude, you know, three weeks after you were born, like I flew out to Bellingham to take care of business. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was cool. Oh, that's so good. I mean, I have to admit, man, when you posted the photo of baby Arthur, just a few days after he was born and you said, dad's going to Chuck not in a few weeks to take care of business. I was like, this idiot. No, you can't do that. You're going you're gonna to suck. And to see you actually make it happen. I mean, it's so impressive. It's so cool. And yeah, what a great opportunity to, or a great story to tell for the rest of his life that three weeks after he was born, dad went and took care of business, had the best race of his life. And you're just getting started. Let's go a little deeper on the race management thing. This is something I Mm. talked to Tom Evans about on the pod Mm. recently. And I think an opportunity to maybe share some practical tips with the audience. And I think everybody has their own process, right? Like I've never worn a heart rate monitor and don't pay attention as much to data and stuff. Like it sounds like you do, but maybe give us a glimpse into that race management process. Like how are you filtering that information and, and how are you then practically applying decisions and things like that on the race course? Yeah. So for the heart rate monitor thing specifically, like I really am generally using that data or other data to help me help build my confidence or to not hurt myself because it's easy in a race. I've found in my past to be like, dude, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. And then it's like, oh shit. Like I'm at 200 beats a minute. Exactly. (laughs) It's like, and now I'm paying for it later. And it's like, I'm using it to keep myself in check a little bit. Um, And otherwise, man, like I didn't look at it. It's like on that final um, climb up the chin scraper, didn't even take a look. It's like, doesn't matter. Final toe path, didn't look. It's like, I don't care if it's a 190, like I'm going as hard as I can. So um, usually I'm using that kind of data, like pace and stuff, um, only to keep myself in check. Um, Otherwise, I really feel like over racing a lot and training a lot, I have a pretty dialed in like nutrition strategy. I like I've done sweat sodium tests. Like I know I'm a salty sweater. So, um, I was drinking EFS pro out there, which is a particularly sodium electrolyte rich, um, hydration mix. So it was super key to have that on course. Um, for me, um, I fuel high carb in races. So I was eating those science and sport gels, Um, and just really trying to be disciplined about the fueling, you know what I mean? Because that's bit me before in, in racing where I get behind and then you start feeling bad and it's like, well, your, your quads feel bad because you haven't been giving them like glycogen, you know, so, um, and carbs. So yeah, uh, those, those were a couple of things. And then in terms of like race dynamics aspect of race management, um, it was mostly just like making sure that, you know, each of those sections, like the first toe path section the middle 18 and then that final towpath section, like I just had a strategy like about where I wanted to be. It was like, I did not want to be in front on the towpath at first. So right next to Eric was in like fourth or fifth or third, whatever, Mm -hmm. um, right there. And then, uh, on the climb, it was like, dude, I'm going to do me on that first climb and I'm gonna run the Ridge. I'm good at technical running. And I caught everyone. 
Mm-hmm. And then I knew it was like, okay, that final descent before the towpath, like I'm a really good descender. And so I'm just going to like, let it fly on there. And I ran like pretty fast. Um, and then final towpath is just like, you know, like, let's see what you got, yeah, you know? And so I had these little strategies for each section. And, you know, by the time you get to the final section, it's just like, you either have executed your strategy, you've done the nutrition, you've kept it in check on the climbs, um, and you've been disciplined. And you either have the legs, like you you put in the right training and fueled correctly on the day, or you don't. And yeah. I was lucky that on that day I did. Wow. Oh, one more thing I, I will say, like I used um being near Eric Lapuma in that middle section, like on the trail. We ran together for probably like eight or nine miles. And dude, he towed me along. Like I would not have run those miles as fast, but I was just thinking, like, dude, Eric is really good. Like yeah. I have so much respect for him for his performance he put in at Worlds and just in general, some of his runs. Yeah. And so it was like dude, like I'm just, I'm just like right here, just not going to get dropped. And I know I'm on a good time. And so that's what happened. I want to have him on the pod soon. He seems like a a fun, compelling character. Yeah. I I met him at Broken Arrow last year where he had an awesome race as well, representing the East coast too. So, you know, we're trying to get him out here to Boulder. So, Oh no, my God, you guys are going to be unstoppable. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Well, thanks for sharing that, man. I mean, congratulations on such an awesome, well-executed run. I'd love to hear you talk about just the whole strategy and execution of it. I'm sure there's a lot of people who get value out of that. Let's look ahead towards canyons now. Yeah. You said that this is the a goal uh, yep. for the first half of the year. And I'm sure you can't really look too far beyond it because there's consequences attached to how you perform at Canyon. So maybe just tell us about this acute recovery from Chuckanut and then building towards canyons, anything that is in the back of your head, learnings from Chuckanut that you want to apply at that race. Yeah. So, uh, biggest takeaway for me from Chuckanut is, is confidence. Like, it's not, I mean, it's not super similar to canyons. I mean, sure. Some of the climbing is like maybe similar, but, um, mostly confidence, man, like have raced with a bunch of really good guys and, um, and shown myself like, okay, like what I'm doing in training in life is like working, you know? So that's what I'm taking away. And in terms of, um, you know, like this week is, is just easy miles, like kind of listening to my body, not caring about volume. And then next week we'll be getting back to like full volume and workouts um, cause it's, you know, like a month away, you know, a month and change yeah. five weeks. So, right. um, I, uh, the thing I'm mainly focused on is canyons and something that I believe in and I'm leaning more into is like, you have to train for the demands of the race you're going to do, you know? So like canyons in the eight and a half hour race, man, like it's a long day. There's yeah. no way you're getting out of it in seven hours. Like it's, you're out there for a long time. And yeah. so, um, I'm going to be doing runs some workouts and key long runs on terrain that's similar to canyons but more importantly i want to make sure that i'm accumulating the volume so that for me thinking about uh like an eight hour run is like dude no big deal like yeah i can do that like i've done a five hour run like you know it's a natural extension and it's something that i've been very inspired by athletes like courtney you know it's like she dude she's she doesn't enter like 30 K's expecting to win. Like she trains for hundreds, hundred yeah. K's and crushes because she's doing big training, you know? So for me, that's something I'm going to continue to center because I think it's working for me. Like, um, it's, it's like that superpower, right? Like I'm very durable, 
but it only helps me if I do enough volume to take advantage of that. Otherwise it's just like, well, yeah, I'm durable, but I'm not doing what I, what I'm capable of. And so, um, in canyons, it'll just be, uh, or in the lead up to canyons, mostly just not changing too much, but just trying to continue to accumulate. And then I am working with strength coach, um, Kinesis integrated Chris Lee here in Boulder. Um, yeah, Matt and Hayden and I are all working with him. And so it's kind of a fun weight room dynamic, but I do think, uh, like, you know, spoiler alert for anyone I'm competing against, I have really weak adductors didn't know that, but it is what has caused in some of these longer ultras, like, you know, TFL or my hip flexors to like take additional wear later in the race. Cause my adductors are like, we're dead. And so these other parts of your body start yeah. like breaking down more quickly. And so um, I'm working on those weaknesses in, in strength training as well. And so hopefully I'm going to show up like not only like aerobically fit and I've been done the right workouts, but like strong from, from the weight training. Love it. So matching the practical training and strength work with the spiritual and emotional side of things, how do you ensure that your life remains in this fine groove of alignment where our true potential can actually be accessed. Yeah. Well, as a dad, you know, and you know, Debo as a dad yourself, it's like, um, it's not without sacrifice and it isn't always quote unquote, like optimal. You know what I mean? Like most of the time, you know, the routine Julianne and I have worked out is like, I can make most of those group runs, but like maybe sometimes it's like I'm running at a kind of weird time yeah. or, you know, I have to get up super early to get my run in because I got to uh, tap in with child support. Yeah. Um, and, you know, to me, kind of getting back to that meaning thing we were talking about, like I've been like trying to get in the States for a long time. And it's like, I don't know if it will happen this on this you know race at Canyons, but I definitely I'm willing to do the hard work and sacrifice uh, emotionally, right? Because it's like emotionally, you don't want to go for a run. Usually it's like physically you can, but you're yeah. like, ah, I don't want to turn the doorknob. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to turn it every freaking time between now and canyons. Hell yeah. I love it, bro. Well, thanks for sharing. <laughs> yeah. Um, anything else that we didn't touch on about things from Chuck and not mm. dad life, life in general, before we start winding down with our closing philosophical questions? Oh man, I guess, well, one thing, just huge kudos to like Chrissy and the crew out there at Chuckanut, just like such a classic race. Like it's the 30th anniversary next year, I believe. And so would be a great one for anyone considering doing that race. I still six. have never done it. It's like one of the American classics there, that man. I've never done. I'd like to, yeah, get, maybe next year's my year. There. Yeah. Um, you know, I think like some of the, the biggest takeaways I suppose are things that I was I've rem I was reminded of is just like the value of community and like feeling really grounded and satisfied by regardless of how like your competitive outcome shakes out on the day. Like, you know, I could have got some second, like very easily Seth could have won the race, yeah. but I think our friendship and dynamic, like at the finish line would have been exactly the same and like making sure to continue to like value the friendship over, over anything else, valuing, like, you know, Drew being out there to crew and cheer for us like that. We're all going to remember that weekend and, you know, going to the, the bar afterward for the post-race celebration. The like, best part you know, of the like, weekend. Come on. Seriously, yeah. man. Like the, it is. And it's what you remember. And it's like, I don't know, to me, like that is 
you know, as much a part of, of racing as the race itself. And so, um, just continuing to like prioritize that and remember that like, Hey, you know, obviously, you know, for competitive elite runners, it's like everybody wants to win the race, you know, but making sure that your values are intact throughout the process and like, um, you know, making sure to like be stoked for other people, like win, lose or draw is like, uh, I don't know what we're all going to kind of like live or die by and like be remembered for. And so that's like how I want to be moving forward. Trail culture, bro. Hell yeah, man. Closing questions for you. Who is one person that you admire inside or outside of sport can be living or dead who you admire and why is it that you admire that person? Okay. So this, I don't know if everybody's going to get this reference, but if you don't, here's, here's a a recommendation. Last chance you on Netflix, coach Mosley, dude, that guy is like every football coach I've ever had, like rolled into one dude, you know? And it's, uh, he's a, the head basketball coach for East LA college. And, uh, it's the show, it's the show on Netflix. I think it's season one is like the one you should watch. It's really good. Um, but dude, like I actually was, I, I think about this thing that he said to all of his, uh, to his team, like at, at this one point in the locker room, he he's pretty hype, dude. He's kind of OD and it's like, he's in the locker room and he's like, don't put on a show, win the game. You don't put on a show, you win the game. And he's just like getting after these guys. Cause it's like, stop showboating out there, win. And so I think about that in my training, it's like, Oh, should I like round this out to 20 miles? So it looks cool on Strava. It's like, no, don't put on a show when I'm out there on the race and people are passing me on a climb. It's like, don't put on a show, win the game. And so that guy's my hero, dude. And he really embodies this thing of like, you know, true love, like giving people what's best for them, what he believes is best for them. That's going to elevate them as an athlete or a person, um, not fake love. Right. And so I, really value him as a coach uh, and a person and yeah I, I look up to him fucking amazing thank you for that final yeah. question for you here adam what is one truth that you've learned about yourself or about life in general through your experience as an athlete oh trail running will save the world seriously i believe that i know you coined that man but like i just have found that for me and i believe like most of us getting outside in nature, whether you're walking or running, rolling on two wheels, whatever, like having that, creating that time and choosing each day to like give yourself that gift of silence and solitude and the opportunity to kind of like self-reflect. I can't tell you how many times, like even before I was a dad, but certainly like as I'm a dad now, like you get out and maybe you don't really want to, but it's that stress release, man. And I think you know, whether that's running for you or not, like, and I believe being in nature outside is a good medium for this reflection, but there's lots of places and ways you can do it, but making sure to like self-reflect and, you know, I think physically exercise, like, you know, raise your, raise your heart rate is just like a recipe and foundational for like, you know, a lifelong happiness and being able to show up in other aspects of your life as a good person. And so, um, for me, like the discipline and the routine of trail running itself, I think makes me a better person. Everyone around me that I interact with makes them a better person. And so, um, 
I choose to do it. And I would encourage anyone listening to to get out the door. Hopefully they're out there right now, you know? What a perfect plug too, because we literally are opening our e-commerce store today where we have new shirts that say trail running will save the world. Oh, and, I'm going to go cop one. Man. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and we got stickers too, so we can spread Love that it. message far and wide. Adam, yeah. Mary, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, man. It's been a joy to chat with you. Congratulations on both fatherhood and Chuck and Nut, and I'll see you at Canyons. My honor, Debo. Thanks again, man. Thanks so much to Adam. What a great dude. Super happy to see him succeed and absolutely loved having him on the podcast. Don't put on a show, win the game. How great was that? Make sure you follow Adam. I linked to his Instagram and his Strava here in the show notes. So go Give him some kudos and follow his prep for Canyons coming up next month. Free Trail Pro members, I would love to hear your feedback. Let me know in the Free Trail Podcast Slack channel. If you're not a member, you should come check it out. Nearly 700 like-minded trail people are in the Free Trail Slack. It's basically the default social media network for trail runners. You can also get access to our training plans, get discounts on our merch and with our brand partners, come to our office hour Zoom calls and so many other perks for only $10 a month or $96 for the year. It really is a great value and there is a free trial. So no risk, just come say hello and try it out. A big thank you to our sponsors, of course, Speedland, runspeedland.com. Use code FREETRAIL10 for 10% off these amazing, beautiful orange shoes, the GS Tam, Gnarly Nutrition, gonarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off those great nutrition products. Best Day Brewing, bestdaybrewing.com. Use code FREETRAIL20 for 20% off your purchase of those delicious non-alcoholic beers. That's it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening all the way to the end means a lot. Love you so much. Talk soon. Bye-bye.